listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. So we're about to wade into the deep waters of contention and a decades-old debate that seems to go round and round and round until now, maybe. Is there such a thing as premium content in digital media? And if so, what is it? And really, does it matter to brands and those chasing people around the web to drive business? Indeed, does it matter if cheap digital ads in cheap online audience environments are part of a brand's channel mix full stop? Well, as Think Premium Digital's General Manager Vanessa Hunt argues, digital marketing somehow has sidestepped the fundamentals that brands, marketers and agencies apply the acid test to on almost every other media channel. That is, some environments, day parts, programs and locations for TV, radio, out of home and beyond have accepted premium components where eyeballs and audiences are viewed and traded as better and more effective than others. So what's been going on in digital media then? Well, a media academic, Dr Dwayne Varan, has conducted what some say is a globally significant research project out of Australia, which answers the question from a consumer psychology and business perspective. And yes, the data backs a digital premium premise. But will it change market behaviour? Some have their doubts. Last touch or last click attribution, for instance, is one of the leading misleading pseudo measurement currencies to ever land on a sector. Everyone acknowledges it has flaws deeper than a Star Trek wormhole, but so many brands today still use it. So what hope does a study around the apparent superior performance of premium content environments have when a market appears committed to wayward measures? So today we're going to juke this one out with Dentsu's Chief Digital and Data Officer, Patrick Darcy, Interim GM for Investment at Group M, Claire Butterworth, and Think Premium Digital's Vanessa Hunt, along with the brains behind this new study, Dwayne Varan from Media Science. The research we should be clear on was funded by Think Premium Digital, which represents online sites from the likes of Nine, Seven, Foxtel, News Corp and 10 Viacom CBS. So welcome all to the panellists today and I note you were all present at a pretty robust dinner debate a few weeks back when most of the agency group investment bosses gathered for a briefing on these research findings. My reading on the room was that most were surprised by the veracity of Dr. Duran's research and therefore had to take seriously the findings. But that's where the consensus stopped. Many were perplexed about how they could break the love brands and marketers have for cheaper content environments. We'll get to all that, but first to Duane for a fast download on the study's key findings. Welcome, Duane, and, and we're back at it again, but let's hear the key takeouts. It's quite a significant study. Let's hear the top line on what your research has uh, uncovered and what the market is now talking about. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. As you alluded to, uh, the, the big headline is that premium is actually premium. In other words, the content of these publishers that we think of as premium publishers actually does translate into a premium impact in terms of the, uh, the effect on the ads that are uh, in those environments. Um, if you had to have a single rule of thumb that said, like, by roughly how much on the back of our data, it would be at least two times the impact. So. That's a good starting point, I think, in terms of what the overall uh, results tell us. Uh, there's a lot of detail, of course, in it, comparing the premium sites to run of internet, where you know uh, you see this uh, this impact of it delivering 
two and a half times the impact on memory, a 55% boost on um, on premium sites. And also, you know, there's really interesting and fairly unique data which compares these premium sites to um, ads placed within social media sites such as Facebook. And, uh, you know, uh, in aggregate, those results are similar, you know, delivering higher impact. But when you look at the results for video, specifically video ads in those, uh, you know, comparing them against the social media environment, you know, you end up with, again, over two times the impact on, um, you know, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the Facebook ad, but also uh, similar to what we saw earlier, 56% increase uh, for the brand lift. So great results that I think really highlight um, that, yes, in fact, there is good evidence that demonstrates that the premium environments really are premium and they do deliver a premium value for advertisers. I'm going to ask the rest of the panelists shortly, but of course, I'm sure you get this question every two and a half seconds, Dwayne, which is what is premium content? Uh, how, do you, how, does, how does a man with your mind explain that one? Well, in the Australian context, it's, it's a relatively simple question because what we mean here is a, uh, an elite community of publishers, like the Ivy League of Australian publishers. You know, we're, we're talking about um, Seven, Nine, Ten, News Corp, and Foxtel. And in the Australian context, that community, that, that league, if you will, re represents something very specific. And in particular, in terms of uh, the, the volume and the amount of Australian content that they, they produce. And I, I do think that that Australian uh, content is actually a part of what makes it premium in the first place. Um, so there's a relationship that people have with those brands, the, the publisher brands. Uh, there's a long history and legacy that has been built up over, over many decades. Uh, and there's content that, uh, so, so it's got the scale, it's got the credibility, the trust, the content. You know, those are the ingredients, I think, that, that, that go into what we refer to as premium in the Australian context, which is this elite community. Vanessa Hunt, so, you know, you've not long been on the other side. You joined from Group M. You were heading its digital investment before you moved to your current gig. Explain this notion you have that premium content and premium environments and digital are a little more contentious than other media channels. You think there's a sort of a, a disconnect here, I, I think. Yeah, and thanks, Paul, for having me, first and foremost. Uh, it was really great to be able to be around such amazing minds uh, in this podcast. So thanks very much for starting. Um, in all other in forms of media, we know that there's a difference between where your advertising appears. So whether that's you know our out of home poster in a particular street over a different street, whether that's a radio uh, spot in a different radio station or an AM or an FM, or whether that's a television spot that you've put into one program over another, we know that the environment that the ad is actually around has an, an onflow or a halo effect on the advertising um, that's that's within it. And then somehow in the digital realm we haven't taken that into context. Often we think about it in the most extreme negative way. So we look at brand safety, we understand that there's a negative impact if your digital ad is in an unsafe environment, but we very rarely take into the positive halo effect that the content that's around or the environment that your ad is in actually has an impact or, or a, um, an impact, yeah, an impact on your actual advertising. So for me, it's, it's an age-old question. It feels logical, like it feels like in your gut, you know that that would make sense because that's in every other medium that we have in advertising. But in digital, we've been so fixated on chasing you know, the last click or the last touch or the cheapest CPM or whatever it might be in the performance realm that we've actually not taken the time to be able to turn around and to go, what is the impact of where my ad actually is and the environment that my ad is seen on, the impact that it has on brand. 
What, so, and I know you kind of touched on it, but why is because we're just the, the industry has been obsessed with sort of the the performance side of things. Why is it, why is premium such a foreign concept in digital and not in others? Well, I think it comes from legacy. If I'm honest, Paul, if we think about how digital has grown over the years, digital used to be the area where you used low funnel advertising. So effectively, you would build your brands in offline areas, and then you would come into online areas and push them further down that funnel to be able to book your test drive or get your credit card application or whatever it might be. And we've obviously moved or consumers have moved into brand touch points in digital environments and our advertising hasn't kept up with that sophisticated move. So we're still majority of the time looking at either performance metrics or media metrics when it comes to digital rather than looking at the fact that digital can and does build brands. So Patrick Darcy, you were at Dwayne's presentation or dinner the other week and you've seen the findings. Are you buying this notion that premium environments and digital are real? Uh, You accept and what's your take? The simple answer is yes. Okay, thanks Patrick. We can move on then, can we? (laughs) No, no, you can't unfortunately. So it's not that easy. But I mean, the simple answer is yes. I think for me, um, and without getting overly philosophical here across the industry, but I think that we need to stop separating digital and other. I think we need to stop asking questions about digital in a silo and comparing it to something like offline. What what Ness just mentioned, I, I agree with, but it was by virtue of the fact that the internet really only enabled a small amount of content and media and thus, in terms of how a person interacted with media, it was only ever gonna be a small amount, right? And so representatively, it could only ever play a certain role. That is fundamentally different now. The internet powers everything and we have to let go of this separation because I think personally it actually contributes to some of the challenges here. So um, to put a simple answer to what can be a complex question, yes, but I hate us just talking about this in the context of digital given now it it powers everything. I think really importantly, um, we get really, really stuck with premium, right, as a term because it is in the eye of the beholder to some regard. I always go to context. Is there context, right, or a difference in context that plays a different role in effectiveness for your marketing? Absolutely, right? I think we talk about premium typically because the types of publishers that you know have contributed to this invest a lot in their journalism, in the curation of different content to create a context for someone that's more engaging and pervasive, right? And if you do that, then your marketing is likely to be more effective. Um, So do I think that there are, you know, contexts in any media form that play a role different to others? A hundred percent. Do I talk about the term premium? No, not typically. Before I get to Claire, Dwayne, how do you feel about context versus premium? You okay with that? You were the one that started all this mess. (laughs) Well, I do think that broadly speaking, um, environment is always going to be a factor. What, whatever we are talking about when we're talking about the impact of an ad, uh, you know that that effect will not be limited to the ad itself and to the the viewer itself. There will always be other environmental factors on both sides of that that will be moderating that impact. Um, the question then is, how do you put a fence around what you mean by environment? So it's, it's true that there are a lot of different types of contexts and environments that do have an effect. And certainly, I think we have a mission to understand as many of those as we can. 
But what we have in this study specifically is one way of understanding environment, which is this notion of this community of premium publishers specifically, and a value contribution that they are making, which now we can kind of put a number on as an on average kind of like effect, other things being equal. Great. Well, we'll loop back around a little bit more uh, in detail on this. Um, Claire Butterworth, you were also at the dinner and there was some fairly, I found it quite robust conversation and and stimulating. You were there uh, and you've seen the study. Do you agree with Pat? Are you buying as a buyer this, this research and the notion of premium or where do you sit? I am buying it. I think it consolidates uh, some long-term thinking that we've we've had as a group for a while, and it's very nice to be able to have some robust data that um, I guess is able to answer our hypothesis. So it's important that that then goes into a broader spectrum as to how we come up with a recommendation for a client as to what what is the best outcome. I think the only build I would have to pad is for us brand safety is obviously a really key part of our um, our decision making process as well. And And um, some of this data also allows us to be able to quantify that in that environment. So for me, it's as much around what is premiumization versus context. I completely agree with Pat, but for us, it's also overlaying a lot of the brand safety um, mechanisms, which we need to make it, I guess, in a way more premium versus other data and content that's out in market at the moment. Just elaborate a little bit on that, the brand safety factor there, Claire. So what is that filter that you're applying to the premium conversation? So for us, I think brand safety is really important as a group. It allows us to have another layer of um, quantifiable data when we are making decisions around where our client's content lies. It will allow us to look at things such as um, time in view, where the content's aligned to, is it delivering um, the best environment and safest environment for our brand ads? So this data will allow that, whether you call it premiumization or context, it provides another um, attractive layer for us and our clients. There's some more detail that I'm going to get from Dwayne shortly, but I'm really interested in all of the panel's view on where the market resistance will be to this research and the broader notion of premium and digital, Um, or I think, you know, as as the UX people like to call it, it's friction. But in terms of the study hitting the market, the findings saying, yes, there is something called premium does exist, It's, it's, it's confirmed, but what happens then? Where is the pushback? And I might start with you, Pat Darcy, first. What's your sense on, uh, on, on from advertisers, your clients and uh, your, your peers uh, around where there might be pushback? So, look, I think in its robustness and methodology, like I do think that this is a piece of research that hasn't been done to this level before, right? But at the same time, um, there's a degree of it being self-serving and I'm not you know, I don't think that's controversial to say that. And I do think when I, and I'm answering this from the perspective of our clients, um, this isn't the first time they'll have seen uh, a, you know, large tech or large media owner or group of media owners pull together a piece of research, right? Which, which under, will tell a story about their um, media or tools being more effective. What I think that ends up doing is you sort of diminish the uh, response to any one thing that comes along, right? Because you end up having a client sitting there going, well, which one is true, right? Like they're they're all kind of self-serving to a good degree, which one is true? So I think from a client's perspective, they will go, this is really interesting. There are elements of this, I think, that are for the first time and incredibly valid. Hey, media agency, your job is to decipher this alongside all the other things that come out and build the most complete, 
most effective plan that incorporates all parts of this to achieve the best results for us as a business. No client, I think, ever wants to put all their money in one place and nor should they, right? Uh, and our job as a media agency is to, uh, I guess, have the expertise to decide on what composition of different media providers and outlets, etc., will make the most effective plan. So I think um, from an agency's perspective, we will look at this as a contributing set of insight and data to form an overall media plan. Claire Butterworth, your response to that? Pat and I are very aligned on that. It's the sum of all parts. You know, we're, we're entrusted with, our, with making client recommendations and we need to look at a suite of data which infers what the what the recommendation is. It's great to have local data um, with local publisher views on that. But at the end of the day, we do need to look at the sum of all parts and what are the objectives we're trying to deliver for a particular client at a particular moment in time. Vanessa Hunt, so what would your approach be to clients if you were, let's hypothetically still uh, with your former colleagues here, Pat and, and Claire, what would you be telling clients about this research? And and you can say, I guess, anything you like now because you've got less encumbered, you're less encumbered. <laughs> I think I'll always uh, say what was right either way, Paul, but thank you. Um, look, I, I think that Matt, probably more to Claire's point, if we think about this is part or, or adds information into a larger conversation we have with a client, right? Obviously, it was only three months ago that I was sitting agency side and making some of the big decisions that Claire and Pat are making at the moment and having those same conversations with clients. I know the, the conversations uh, and I know the questions that come from clients. I know how hard it is to be able to, to sit in that room and be able to turn around and justify all parts of the pie. What's more important and the reason why we did it is that this information didn't exist locally in Australia. So the fact that we knew that one, well, we, we assumed, let's say, that, uh, that premium mattered, now we have proof that it does, right? So in that conversation, this research can actually provide the information to help Claire and Pat and others like them in the industry have the conversations they need to have with clients. For me, this is the start of a conversation. This is not a solution to an industry problem. This is information that we haven't had, that we need to have to be able to turn around and have the conversations in the industry with investment in mind uh, to be able to turn around and actually prove to the client, yeah, when you spend a dollar here, it actually works twice as great. Um, or depending on the metric, obviously, um, and depending on the client. I think there's, there's two other things that I think came out of the research, and I'm sure um, we'll get some more detail from Dwayne in a second. But if I think about there's there's we stop the question of does premium matter, because it does. However you define it, we define it in three ways, which is there's the content that um, Pat talked about. So it's, yes, professionally produced, professionally generated, all of those things. It's the brand safety that Claire talked about. So it's about the, the um, low risk, which is probably more the important thing around brand safety when we're looking at it in that negative degree. It's, it's a low risk environment where you know, clients know exactly what environment they're going to be buying into and are guaranteed that environment. And the third thing is scale. So you can have the best site in the world, but if three people come to it, it's not uh, relevant for an advertiser, right? Or not as relevant to be able to build a brand. So those three things need to matter. So now we've said the, uh, irrelevant of the word premium, if those three things are made with the Australian content that Dwayne's talked about, there is a higher impact. Tick, done. One comment that's been talked about forever in the Australian industry is not debatable. Also, to Pat's point, 
that we wanted to use an independent research company that works with all of the competitors to be able to turn around and prove that point. This is not research that was done by us. This is not research that was done by the media owners. This is independent research. And that was super important for us for all those reasons, Pat. I remember sitting in plenty of rooms where everybody said that they were number one. So I am with you um, on that frustration. And I think this 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 is a start to that. The second thing which I think I think is uncovered in this is the actual the, sh- the power of short form, which I think if you look at our planning systems within inside the industry, short form seems to have been deleted, as in short form video, sorry, seems to be deleted off our planning processes. So when we're thinking about video, we go television, connected television, BVOD, YouTube, and then probably into social video. And if you look at the growth in, in social platforms, it's all coming from video. And yet this research proves that short form video, the old kind, you know, the video that exists in the rest of the internet, is actually twice as effective. And I think that that's an interesting part from a conversation to have with a client where, you know, we would sit in a room and easily be able to justify increased investment into social video and yet somehow forget that short form even was even on the plan. So for me, that's a secondary part that comes out of this. It's not only just about um, comparing premium and non-premium, but actually remembering that there's other bits of the ecosystem that we seem to have forgotten. So bias has come up in two different threads here, and I definitely want to ask uh, Dwayne about Pat's point about bias. It's like telling a researcher and academic that their work is, might have some bias in it. It's like telling a journo that he may have made some quotes up. It's a little bit hard to take, isn't it, Dwayne? It's a fair observation, by the way, that it's fun, there was some research funded by a group and the stakeholders, surprise, surprise, benefit or come out looking uh, polished in that finding. So your sense on the bias, you know, the, the methodology here is fairly independent, robust. Your take, Dwayne? Uh, no, I, I think it's good to be critical and I think it's good to look at all research with that critical gaze. Um, we should never just buy into anything that we see. We need to weigh it and we need to understand within our own universe what weight we ultimately want to attribute to it in terms of what we think the credibility and the value is. That's good. There's nothing wrong with uh, with coming to the research with that skepticism. I don't think there's really a lot of ground to look at the design and the methodology um, and see a lot of weakness with it. I think it's really world-class. Um, it's, a, it's a landmark study in terms of the, the design and the methodology and the sheer work that went into making sure everything was a, a true like-for-like kind of comparison. Um, but, you know, at the I mean, I, I think it's true that we are independent and that we've worked for players across the field. I mean, we've worked for people on the social media side as well as the publisher side. Um, the, the thing that everybody has to remember is that we get paid the same whether we find something that tells a good story or a bad story. There is no incentive for us, at least financially, to be out here telling a story one way or the other. We're in the truth business, whatever that is. And that's, that's where our ultimate reputation is really uh, carved. To the other uh, side on the bias question, um, Vanessa brought up this notion of um, somehow short form in uh, beyond or an outside social has sort of sort of fallen off the radar and is, is considered to be secondary. That I'm interpreting as, again, bias from, from a buy side, not necessarily the agencies and people we're talking to here, but that the market is saying we don't like short form video in premium environments or in publisher environments, we do like it in social and so forth. So that bias can... Can I uh, put it back on you first, Pat, and say if, if, if Vanessa's saying there's bias in short term or there's a move away from it and the data's saying it shouldn't, your take? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's perhaps even a combination of things. And to come back on on Dwayne's point just now, I think you know the other side of the bias equally is 
Um, I've seen situations where data like this, right, uh, isn't necessarily understood or applied as much as it could be because the previous point I made is used as, as an excuse, right? Like, oh, this is just self-serving. I'll have a quick read and move on. That's not good enough in this situation either, right? Um, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And that's the point here, I think, with an insight like short form, right? That, that even as a group for us, um, among many other uh, data points within this, has had us go, okay, we've got to challenge ourselves on this. You know, have, have we been um, maybe at times sort of incorrectly grouping all types of, you know, short form video as, as being equal? Maybe they're not, we need to relook at that. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's an example of the due diligence kind of that needs to be applied here to the individual outputs, um, where some you as an agency might choose to go, oh no, I feel like we've probably, we're okay on that one. And, 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 and this one for me, I think was a really interesting insight that you need to take a, Good hard look at. And it's always intriguing, Claire Butterworth. Um, you know, I might get your quick take on that. I probably assume you'll be aligned with Pat on it, but if there's why is there bias against and how do we get there in terms of short form video? But also when we talk about sort of uh oh, this has come from a, a, a self-interested party in the research, I'm 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 constantly asking everyone I run into, how did the industry get to last click? as a currency without any proof points. I mean, it's sort of a reflective of on one part, we say, well, we're going to be careful with Duane's research because there's some, there's some money here that's paid for it and it's independent. But on the flip side, we have this pseudo currency that's run away and it's taken over the industry. And, and so many people tell me, I wish it wasn't, but it's there. So um, big philosophical question, sorry, and you get to answer it, Claire. Lucky you. Lucky me. Well, I'd say, first of all, this podcast is going to go on for quite some time if we start to go down a last-click attribution debate with this crew. So yes. I do think, though, that the point less is probably less around the last-click attribution and more around, you know, the we have so much data in market and there is a, from an agency perspective, I think, and there's so many different studies done by so many different um, publishers, whether it be case studies or industry studies, that, you know, we do need to, to take, a, take a bit of a, a step back. I think there's this constant pressure to be progressing, progressing, progressing as, as fast as you can in a race. But I think, you know, it's it's also very important that as a, you know, as a group, we stop and we start to infer a lot of that data and those learnings a lot more effectively also to align to our own product offering within markets. So, um, not wanting to really get into the last click attribution debate, to be perfectly honest. I can tell. However, I do think there is definitely a place for a huge amount of varied research platforms across industry leadership, uh, which I think as a group we really, really welcome. And if there are pivots that we need to make as a group based off of that data in conjunction with a lot of other pieces and how that fits into our overall strategy, I would really welcome that. Yeah, I guess it's a long way. What I said to you, Claire, was a long way of saying there are blind spots in the industry and to me that's one of them and we're robust on some things and we are blind on others is probably the top line point i would i would agree with you on that i don't think we're i don't think we're we're by any stretch perfect i don't think we intend i don't think we are we ever say that we are either but i think we are progressing at a rate of knots in in some ways um global leading around different areas of measurement and methodology and accountability so i think if there's any more data that helps prove these sorts of points and gets us moving towards allowing clients having greater accountability and the agencies as well well i'd welcome that as well pat you were going to say something sorry only that i don't think that's a blind spot around last touch or last click attribution um i think you have to have some tough conversations like and sometimes with clients to, to move them on. They've 
it, it made sense quite a long time ago when, as I said, the internet and the you know its contribution to marketing overall was much smaller. It made sense. We've come a long way from that, and it no longer makes sense. And I think I don't think it's a blind spot. I think everyone acknowledges that, but it does require you know a shift in in the way you do things, and then that then will require a bit of challenging and pushing back in an agency environment or with clients, um, you know, to do something new that might not be as easy. I do think that within that is a really important point. Um, and it's, you know, the output of this research is hugely valuable, right? Um, but if you take it and were to say, okay, well, you know, premium perhaps inherently does cost more money and, and we're to look at efficacy of say premium as it's defined in, in this study, within the confines of archaic measurement, it will not look like it's doing a good job, right? And so I think it's really important that we also get right Right, not only the output of this, but what's the framework that we're putting around it to look at you know, efficacy? And it isn't any kind of proxy media measurement in my view, right? Um, it has to come down to, you know, if you're going to pay, if it's twice as effective, right? Are you paying more or less than twice as much? <laughs> Very basic economics. And if you're going to pay you know, more and it's twice as effective or, you know, on what basis for the client in terms of business outcomes, you know, could you pay only one and a half times more for this premium content, it'd be twice as effective and so you sell twice as many shoes. Um, nowhere in there does impressions or clicks or any of those things to me really matter. Um, brand safety, critically important, other things as a hygiene kind of um, scaffolding around it really important, but I think that the real test of any research comes down to that, you know, how effective is it in growing the client's business? I'm 100% supportive of you, Pat, and obviously the conversations that we have had in the past is, yes, premium is more expensive, the same way as a Ferrari is more expensive than a Toyota Corolla, um, but for the right reasons don't think what we've had is that number so you know when you talk about before is yes it's more expensive but is it working twice as hard so if i'm paying twice as much is it working twice as hard or if i'm paying one and a half times historically what we've looked at is just the same so comparing a cpm and a cpm or an outcome and an outcome and we're not taking these broader conversations into context to your point claire the idea of stepping back using some logic like it shouldn't be surprising to anybody that where your ad appears has an effect on your ad, right? That is the very definition of advertising. Like that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I think that by how much to be able to have that conversation that you're talking about, Pat, to be able to turn around and go, yes, I know I'm paying more, but it's working harder for me, is the conversation that is the research and research like this um, should be able to support in the industry to just be able to give you the information that you need to change that conversation with the client instead of looking at just cost in isolation yep. and it should not be digital and offline or any other comparison it just should not yeah you know if we spend 10 that's right you spend ten dollars this way it's this effective if we can spend that ten dollars a different way based on learnings like this is it more effective where effectiveness is actually the outcomes in the in the client's business yes and it's a great utopian notion pat but of course everyone's structured in very different ways it means that that doesn't happen always despite the ideal and we won't go down that rabbit hole because that's another last click attribution conversation that claire will not buy to buy into so we're not going to do that before i get to vanessa first on you know whether she thinks market behavior will change Dwayne, just give us a really quick 
sense for those that are sort of struggling with why is premium better? This halo uh, effect that happens from premium content, uh, why does it exist and, and what's the human psychology bit here uh, and how premium content creates sort of, I guess this is the no- your notion, is it creates stronger pathways in our brains to forge mental availability and memory. So just really quickly on the halo before we get into market behaviour. I mean, there is a popular assumption in the market that news is a bad environment for ads. That's actually a flawed assumption. The assumption is because the content might be negative that an ad being placed in that environment might suffer. But actually we've done many, many studies where we've consistently demonstrated that ads actually do much better in news. And the reason is because people go into news in a very alert, active, lean forward, thinking about the story kind of mode. And we know from other work that we've done and that we've consistently seen that that is going to translate into better memory results, which really helps explain that clear superiority that we saw across all three stages of memory, not just memory as a generic concept, but across the attention stage, the storage and processing stage, as well as the retrieval stages of memory. And what's amazing when you look at the data is that these same ads Uh, placed in the same environments, now we tested in the US, the effects disappear completely. There is no premium effect for this content in the US because to an American audience, the Australian content, the Australian publishers, they don't have that relationship, they don't have that trust, that credibility, suddenly it's no longer premium. So two things, I think the Australian character, the brands, as well as the memory effects that we see that benefit from, uh, from the news content. Okay, understood, Dwayne. So to wrap this up, dear panellists, um, I'm really interested in the bigger picture here, the long term of will behaviour change in the market? Why, how, why not? And let's start with Vanessa first and then we'll go through the panel. But this um, is probably the most important part of the, the discussion is will there be an, an impact or an effect on the market in this, Vanessa? Paul, I'd really like to hope so. Is my, is my, you know, I can only say it as, as, as bluntly as that. And the reason being is now we have the, the evidence and the information needed to fill those gaps and the conversations that Claire and Pat were talking about. So I hope so. I see it as the start of a conversation and I can't say that and stress that enough. This is not something that suddenly we're going to change giant investment patterns overnight and clients' minds. Those conversations aren't easy and our agency teams are absolutely smashed. There's a million conversations that agencies need to have with their clients. This has to be one of them. Claire, um, out of the million things that are you having conversations around, um, how, how much of a priority is this little bit of data and do you think... Um, there will be behavioural change as a result or starting from this sort of conversation and research we're having now? Yeah, I think there will be. I mean, I think to Ness's point, being quite um, realistic in how much you can change and, and at what speed. But yes, I would think there will be. I mean, I think it's been clearly evident across other channels uh, that there is, um, you know, not all content is created equal. Um, so I couldn't see why some of those really key learnings can't be applied to some of this greater content, which, you know, Ness has got the research findings for. So yes, I think that it will. Um, I don't think it will be in incredibly seismic initially, but I do think that over time it enables the agencies and us to have more robust conversations with our client with greater quantified um, actionable outcomes, which is what we want. I'm going to make a harder question for Patrick Darcy, which is not only does he think uh, does he think behavioural change will happen, 
If it does or doesn't, what's the time frame? There we go. I thought I'd got away. <laughs> Sorry. From a session with you, mate, without, yeah. <laughs> so and you mentioned earlier a utopian view, and I typically have that because I'm a lover of what we do, right? I actually think before this research, there has started to be a big shift towards that utopian place. I'm starting to see in the way clients are thinking and the questions they're asking their agency and then and then within our own business that change suddenly happened, which is hugely positive. So I think this lands at the right time. I think specifically around this um, research, yes, I, I do think it changed behavior. Um, as an agency, our role has always been and will continue to be um, looking at all of the complexity right now in terms of media and advertising opportunities and helping a client navigate that to arrive on the best plan. So that's not gonna change. But I think this is an input to that. It absolutely will. Um, and, you know, speaking for us, I mean, before coming on this call, I went back through some of the emails in our group. It put a smile on my face to look at the already the rigor that's occurred around breaking it down and the point of views sitting in the Cara and I prospect businesses and the things that said, no, we don't believe this. We do believe this. And so for, for us, it's already started to, to happen. But as, as I said before, it's as a data point that we now should be referencing as part of a, a sort of broader discussion. But so I was really pleased to, to go back through all of that and see how much has already been done in pressure testing it. Within your group? Within our group, yeah. Which, you know, uh, I, think, I think is indicative of this being perhaps different to attempts at this in the past, right? There's a validity in this that our guys have already responded to. And these are from the heads of digitals and digital and other, other people in the business across both of our main um, media agencies. And, and, and that to me kind of answers your question, right? Yeah, in terms of to a degree time frame, but I do agree with Claremont. I don't think it um, becomes seismic and overnight, right? And that, that's not because of um, this research in particular, it's because it will always form part of a whole broader set of things that we need to consider. Well, the interesting thing there is it's certainly on, on the radar of your teams, which uh, for a lot of research is sort of one step ahead because often it just gets sidelined to, we'll come back to that. This is being discussed. So there's a little bit of progress there, Pat. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think what, what was in that progress already, right, um, was debate, right, that I could, I could see, which is what Ness and Duane are trying to achieve here. I think first and foremost, that's a really, really, really good thing. Um, and literally to the level of the start of, um, you know, we, we should consider this for these clients going in to the next planning cycle, um, you know, and, and I think that's, um, yeah, I mean, speaks volumes for the fact that there is absolutely a continued appetite to be better at what we do, but it's a big shift to turn around. Well, the data has landed, as you could say. Um, to, to Vanessa and Duane, I'll let you finish up in terms of what is next anyway in terms of this program. Thanks, Paul. So the program is less important. And I think to Pat's perspective, what's next is the conversation that needs to happen in the industry and what do the agencies need to continue the conversations with their clients. Think Premium Digital was developed to be able to readdress the balance of advertising in the Australian ecosystem. And so my question to anybody that's listening and obviously any of the agency and client folk is what is it that you need from us now? So there's this phase that we're talking about where we're looking at short form social and display. We've got another phase coming which looks at long form content, user generated content. 
We've also got um, some information, some research coming out around first-party data and the value of that in a post-cookie world. So there's a lot coming down the pipes. You know, I'm only three months into the job and there's already a lot happening, um, you know, in response from the agencies. I'd also say there is a huge, and, and um, positively so, a huge appetite for the agencies to tell me lots of things they want. <laughs> so there is certainly no shortage um, of change and, you know, to that swell that Pat was talking about, there is certainly no shortage of us wanting to get better and have more sophisticated conversations with our clients. So it's over to everybody else that's listening. What is it that you need to make the Australian advertising ecosystem a more balanced system? Such an insightful question, Vanessa Hunt. Well done. To Dwayne, to, to wrap up, you've done a lot of these studies. Seems to have been some good conversation out of this one, good debate out of this one. It's been great to see everybody coming together and, and recognising a need to kind of like pull resources together and work together uh, towards uh, addressing bigger questions. So just the spirit of collaboration that I'm seeing around the sharing even of the results, uh, it, it, it's a new era. It's, it's, it's a whole new chapter in terms of how we're seeing research uh, received and, and engaged with uh, in the Australian context. Fantastic. Dwayne Varan, Patrick Darcy, Claire Butterworth, Vanessa Hunt, thanks for joining this super premium utopian discussion. Um, look forward to round two because, um, you know, maybe some stuff will actually happen. Stay safe. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.